Take your copy of the Word of God and open it with me this morning to the book of Exodus, and we are in chapter 33, and we will begin there in a moment in verse 1. If you don't happen to have a copy of God's Word, we'll have the words on the screen, but in Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. A number of years ago, there was a social scientist from Harvard University who did some research into friendships. And he concluded that people who have a lot of friends but have poor eating habits actually enjoy a longer life expectancy than those who have good eating habits but no friends. He said, and I quote, It is better to eat Twinkies with your friends than to eat broccoli alone. (laughs) Now, I don't know if I believe that or not, but I do know that friends are important. It's especially important that we have friends that would encourage us in the faith to follow Christ. Unfortunately, it seems like these days what we have done, we have exchanged real friendships for virtual friendships. I mean, let's be honest. I know people, you probably know people as well, who may have hundreds or even thousands of friends on Facebook, but no one would come to their funeral if they died. Well, we need friends. Friendships are important. But most importantly, we were created for friendship with God. And deep down in our hearts, this is what we long for. There is a key statement in Exodus chapter 33, which I believe serves as kind of a theme for this whole passage. In verse 11, it says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Isn't that beautiful? Moses was many things. Moses was a leader. Moses was a songwriter. He was a preacher. He was a prophet. But most importantly, more than anything else, Moses was a friend of God. And what is said about Moses and Exodus 33 can be said about you this morning. It can be said about me. Jesus said in that passage that we read together earlier, I've not called you servants, I call you friends. Sometimes I wonder whether or not we've taken this for granted. If perhaps we fail to be in awe, if we fail to be amazed at the mere privilege of being called friends of God Well, you ask, what does it mean really, practically, to be a friend of God? I believe that's exactly what this passage is about this morning. And there are three things in particular that I want you to see from this chapter. To be a friend of God means, first of all, experiencing the presence of God. It means experiencing the presence of God. Look with me at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, 
And I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people." Last Sunday, we looked at chapter 32, while Moses was on the mountain getting instructions from God about the tabernacle and how his people would worship him. What were the people doing? Down in the valley, worshiping an idol. We get to chapter 33, and amazingly, God is still going to send them into the promised land. And that is fantastic news. But then in verse 3, God drops the hammer on them. He says, yes, I will give you the land just as I promised. Yes, I will drive out the inhabitants, but I'm going to send my angel with you. I'm not going to go with you, God said, lest I consume you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had somebody in your life of whom you could say, it's a lot easier to love them from a distance? Please don't point at anybody else in the room, okay? Somebody in your life of whom you would honestly say that they are your friend. You would even say that you love them. But you would have to admit that if you lived with them, you would probably kill them. After what Israel had done, bowing down and worshiping a golden calf. God said, my presence is not going to be with you as it was before. Well, why would God say something like that? Well, sometimes in the scriptures, God will say something to someone in order to test them. God says this. He says, I'm not going to go with you lest I consume you because God is testing Moses. And I want you to think about what God is saying. He says, I will give you the land. I will give you the milk and the honey. I will give you the peace. I'll give you the security. I will give you everything except for my presence. Let me ask you a question. What if God were to make you a similar offer in your life? What if God were to say to you, I want you to put together a list of all of those things that you long for, all of your biggest and your greatest dreams. And what if God were to say, I'm going to give you everything. I will give you the job. I'll give you the position. I'll give you the influence. I'll give you the fame. I'll give you the money. I'll give you the house. I'll give you the car. I'll give you the wife. I'll give you the kids. I'll give you all the comforts of life. I'll give you good health. You can have it all, everything, except for my presence. How would you respond to that offer? What would you say? I greatly fear that many people, including many who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, if God were to make them that offer, they would actually say, God, that's exactly what I want. Thank you very much. You see, they want the blessings, but not the blesser. They want the benefits of God without God himself. 
And I'm here today to tell you it does not work that way. Now, we have to say, to Israel's credit, when they heard this, they responded in the appropriate fashion. The Bible says that they mourned as a symbol of their mourning. They took away their ornaments, meaning their jewelry, because in those days when you were mourning, you did not dress up, you did not wear jewelry. But for them, the very thought of going into the promised land and having all of those good things, but not having God's presence with them, it made them miserable. Now, later on in this chapter, Moses is talking with God, and Moses mentions what God said in verse 3. And I want you to notice Moses' response to this offer that God makes. We see it in verse 15. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Moses is not satisfied with just an angel going with them. He says, God, if you aren't going, we don't want to go either. Think about what he's saying. Think about all the problems that we could avoid in life if we would make that our prayer. If we would say, God, I don't want to go anywhere that you are not leading me. I don't want to do anything if you are not guiding me. I don't want to be a part of anything if you are not in it. See, Moses knew something. He knew that there is nothing that God gives us that compares to himself. And Christian brother, Christian sister, the greatest gift that you received when you were saved, listen to me carefully, was not heaven. The greatest gift you receive is God himself, the presence of God in your life. The psalmist understood this in Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you? He understood that the reason why we want to go to heaven is because God is there. It's not about the place. It's about the person. It's his presence that we desire. And if God were to give you everything on that list I mentioned a moment ago, apart from his presence, you know what you would very quickly discover? you would quickly find out that all of those things on your list that you thought were so great, they actually aren't as great as you thought they were. And if you were to have it all, the money, the power, the influence, the fame, the possessions, the comforts, without God's presence, if God gave you the dream, you would eventually find out that the dream is actually a nightmare. It's all empty. Solomon called it vanity. Look at verse 16. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Moses understands that God must go with his people. They must experience his presence because that is what will cause them to stand out so that the nations will see and know about the grace of God through them. 
The thing that made Israel unique was not the land. They had not yet received the land. The thing that made Israel unique was not their riches. They were poor. They were slaves when God redeemed them. The thing that made them unique was not their righteousness. They just worshiped a cow. The thing that made them unique was the presence of God that they could have this relationship with God, that they could experience and we can experience the presence of God in our lives. A professor at the seminary I attended, Tony Marita, once said, the greatest problem in the church today is our attempt to do the work of God apart from the presence and the power of God. And I believe that he's right. Part of us being friends of God means that we can experience the presence of God on a personal level. And as much as that was true for Moses, let me tell you, that's even more true for us. Because Moses had to go up to the mountain to really experience the presence of God. Moses had to, at times, go into the tabernacle in order to experience the presence of God. But we, in the New Testament, who are in Christ, we are called the temple of God, and we can experience the presence of God wherever we go because the Spirit of God lives in us. And so part of being a friend of God means we can experience God's presence in our lives, and we should seek and we should celebrate God's presence and all that He's doing in our lives every single day. Part of being a friend of God means we experience the presence of God but it also means knowing the ways of God. Part of being a friend of God means knowing the ways of God. Go back to verse 12 and listen to what Moses says. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, And you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. Now, the Bible says numerous times here that Moses found grace in the eyes of the Lord, not merit. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. No, it was grace. And so having received God's grace, he then, in response, asked God for two things. There are two things in particular in the second half of this chapter where Moses comes before God and says, Oh, God, show me blank. And we see the first one in verse 13, show me your way. And by the way, most translations will here translate this, show me your ways, plural. Yes, Moses had seen the works of God. He'd seen God's works and the plagues and in the parting of the Red Sea and in God's provision, the, the, the manna, the water. But I want you to notice There's a difference between the works of God and the ways of God. In fact, we see this in Hebrews chapter 3. The author of Hebrews is actually talking about this story. 
He's talking about this time period in the life of Israel in between Egypt and Israel. And I want you to listen to what God says about them at this time. In Hebrews 3, verse 9, God, speaking of Israel, said, They saw my, what? Works 40 years. Oh, yes, they had seen God's works. They had seen what God had done with their own eyes. But then in the very next verse, I'm not getting into everything that's in this passage, but in the very next verse, in verse 10, God then says, they have not known my what? My ways. Now, do you see what God is doing here? God is emphasizing the fact that Israel at this time in her history knew about the works of God, but not about the ways of God. And that is why Moses prays this prayer. It's one thing to know about the works of God and to be able to recite the different things that God has done. To remember all those stories that you learned in Sunday school as a kid. Yes, that's great. That's wonderful. But it's another thing to know God's ways. How God works in our lives. You know, God works differently in one person's life to the next, in one situation to the next. Peter Full of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, preached and 3,000 people were saved. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 7, preached and he got martyred. God works differently in our lives, but the ways of God are consistent because God's ways are based on his character and God's character never changes. Let me just illustrate it to you this way. Imagine someone were to come to me and say, Pastor Howard, I've never met your wife. Tell me about her. And what if I responded by saying, her name is Joy. She was born on December 5th in Atlanta, Georgia. The doctor's name was Bob. Her dad was an accountant. Her mother, a piano teacher. She went to Tift County High School She majored in music. She is a band director. She has blue eyes and a perfect driving record, all of which is true. (laughs) Would you be impressed with me that I could recite to you a bunch of facts about my wife? No. I think you would expect that of me and much more. But what if you came to me and said, Pastor, tell me about your wife. And I told you about the way I Felt around 4 p.m. on February the 18th, 1995, after I had met her for the first time and watched her walk away. And how I begged God to send her to Sanford so I could ask her out while she was still unpacking her boxes. What if I told you about that? What if I told you about what a great wife she is or what a great mother she is or the way her eyes light up when she talks about her bands and her students and how much they're learning and growing? What if I told you about how my wife and I like to make fun of people when no one else is listening and no one else knows this little thing we have? (laughs) Just the two of us. What if I 
told you how she wakes up every single morning and the first thing she does is turns on black gospel? What if I told you she's my best friend? You see, now that's something different. Because now I'm not telling you about her works. I'm telling you about her ways. And I tell you this because there are plenty of people who seek to know facts about God and they read their Bibles in order to gain information about God. And listen to me, that's good. That's important. We need to know those facts. But they read their Bibles so that they can boast about their intellectual knowledge of God. Yes, get to know your Bible like the back of your hand. But we read our Bibles, not so that we can be puffed up or boast in our knowledge, but we read God's Word so we can get close to God. Yes, get that information. Yes, learn those facts. But don't ever be content. Don't be satisfied with just knowing things about God instead of knowing God personally. Moses says, God, show me your ways. Did God answer his prayer? Absolutely. Because the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses. Well, you ask, well, pastor, how can I know the ways of God for myself? I believe that when Moses prayed that prayer in verse 13, he really was already helping to answer his own prayer before he prayed it. Because starting in verse 7, I don't have time to talk about all the details of this text, but starting in verse 7, the Bible tells us how Moses set up a tent outside of the camp. They called it the tabernacle of meeting, not to be confused with the other major tabernacle that God told them to build. That comes later. But this tabernacle, this tent, this was Moses's place where he would just go to be with God. I want you to notice what it says there in verse 9 about this place. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. This is how he really got to know the ways of God. And listen to me carefully, there's no shortcut to this. There's no quick and easy six-step process to knowing the ways of God. We know the ways of God by walking with God in obedience and experiencing Him and trusting Him and calling upon Him and spending time with Him over the course of our lives. It's not quick. It's not easy. It's a process. But let me tell you, it's worth it. Part of being a friend of God means not only knowing about the works of God, but knowing the ways of God. Well, there's one more thing that I want you to notice in this passage about what it really means to be a friend of God. It also means enjoying intimacy with God. Notice in verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. Now, Moses asked God to go with them into the promised land. 
And so God grants his request. But I want you to notice why God told Moses he would do it. God said, here's the reason why I'm going to grant your request. God said, I'm going to do it because you, in the Hebrew it's singular, you, Moses, have found grace in my sight. And so notice what happens. God chooses to deal with Israel on the basis of their mediator, Moses. Because Moses found favor, Israel receives favor. Because God approved of Moses, he approves of Israel. And I know I'm starting to sound like a broken record here. I keep saying this. But the more we study Moses, the more we see Jesus. In the same way, we experience grace and forgiveness and redemption because of our mediator, Jesus. Because God approved of Jesus, he approves of us. Because God favors Jesus, he favors us. But I want you to notice just the intimacy that Moses enjoys with God in this passage. Two times here, God says to him, I have known your name. Now, does that mean God did not know the names of the other Israelites? Is God saying, oh, I, I don't know about those guys, but you, yeah, I know your name. No, God gives a name, the Bible says, to every star in the universe. He knows all their names. But God says to Moses, I know your name. As a way of saying, we're on a first name basis. Verse 11 says God spoke to Moses face to face. That's a a Hebrew expression meaning they had direct and personal communication. God spoke to Moses, it says, as a man would speak to a friend. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to be honest. When I'm speaking to my friends, I speak differently. And this is not about being hypocritical. It's not about being two-faced. But when you are with your friends, you're more relaxed You speak freely. You can let your guard down a little bit because you don't have to worry about your friends using your words against you or rejecting you. It's just a a different way of communicating. The Bible says this is how God spoke to Moses. This is how Moses spoke to God as friends. And just as Moses enjoyed communication with God in this way, so can we. The Bible tells us in in Romans chapter 8 that we can call on him. We can cry out to him and call him Abba, which means daddy. This is not being irreverent. This is intimacy with God. And by the way, this is also what you need when you're in pain. This is what you need when you're disappointed. This is what you need when you're going through the trials of life. You need that closeness with The God who understands, the one who knows what it's like to watch a son die, the one who knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend, you need that intimacy with God. We really see just how close Moses was to God. In verse 18, I want you to notice, here's that other prayer I told you about. And he said, please show me your glory. Spurgeon said this was... Probably the greatest prayer anyone ever prayed apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. I I believe that he's probably right. Show me your glory. Some of you may 
see this and think, but wait a second, hasn't Moses already seen God's glory? Didn't God make his glory known through that cloud that descended, the cloud by day, the fire by night? And wait a second, Moses went up on the mountain and there he communed with God and Israel, they were told to stay back. But Moses went up, God gave him the Ten Commandments. Did he not see and experience the glory of God on Mount Sinai? Well, of course he did. But Moses knows something. He knows there's more. And so he pleads with God. He says, please show me your glory. You know, there's a beautiful principle here, and this isn't not going to appear on the screen or in your notes, but if you're a note taker, this is a, a, a great thing to remember. God is both completely satisfying and continually alluring. Did you know that both of those are true of God at the same time? He is completely satisfying every time you come to him, every time you experience him. Yes, he satisfies you, the deepest longings of your heart, but even though he satisfies you, he is continually alluring. The more you want him, the more you want to know him, the more of his glory you have seen, the more you want to see. Moses has seen God's glory But then in verse 18, he prays and begs God and says, God, show me your glory. Show me more. Well, here's God's response in verse 19. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, here that means that God does not have to grant Moses' request. God was not obligated to say yes, but I'll tell you what, God always seems to delight in answering this prayer. I believe that whenever a man or woman from a sincere heart comes to God and says, God, show me your glory, that God always says, yes, yes. Yes, yes. God's going to show Moses his glory. Here's what it looks like in verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see my face and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Well, you can probably imagine there's a lot of debate about this passage and a lot of mystery in these verses. But let me tell you how I understand these last few verses of chapter 33. I believe that when God spoke of his hand, his face, and his back. I personally believe he's speaking figuratively, that when God speaks of his face, that means a greater exposure to God's glory. When God speaks of his back, that refers to a lesser exposure to God's glory. But if Moses were to behold all of God's glory, he could not live to tell about it. For God said in verse 20, no man shall see me and live. So what does God do? Here is Moses being protected from God by God. God's going to reveal 
as much of his glory to Moses as Moses is able to bear. By the way, that's how it works. He knows where we are spiritually. He knows how much we can take. And God will reveal as much of his glory to us as we are ready to receive, as much as we can bear. But Moses was not able to see the actual face of God. 2,000 years ago, however, God sent Jesus so that we could experience intimacy with God, the intimacy that Moses longed for in Exodus chapter 33. And we see this again and again in John chapter 1, speaking of Jesus. The Bible says, we beheld his glory. And then when Jesus was born, the angel sang glory to God in the highest And when he performed his first miracle in John chapter 2, the Bible says he manifested his glory. And then in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, it says he's the fullness of God's glory. Put it all together, we see God's glory in Jesus' life. We behold his glory in his miracles. We hear God's glory in his words. To know Jesus is to know the glory of God of God. To be a friend of God means experiencing God's presence, knowing God's ways, enjoying intimacy with him. But all of that is possible because 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose again so that we, upon believing in him, we who were enemies of God could be made friends of God. Years ago, there was a, a newspaper that had an interesting competition They offered a cash prize to whoever submitted to them the best definition of the word friend. And a lot of people wrote in and they wrote down their definition of what is a friend. But finally, they announced the winner. And this was the winning definition. Somebody said, a friend is someone who walks in your life when everyone else is walking out. That's a pretty good definition, a friend. Pretty good description of what Christ will do in your life. Everybody else may be walking out on you, but he's the friend that sticks closer than any brother. He's the one, if you ask him, if you invite him, he'll not only come, he'll not only be your Savior, he'll not only be your Lord, He'll not only be your protector and your defender and your help and your hope and your guide, he'll be your friend, your perfect friend forevermore. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've made it possible for us in Jesus Christ to be called friends of God. That is the longing of our hearts. You created us for that purpose. It's not enough to know things about you. It's not enough to know about your works. As important as that is, but God, we want to experience your presence, and we want to know your ways, and we want to enjoy that intimacy with you that you have made possible through Jesus Christ. Thank you, oh God, for making us friends. I pray for the man or woman or young person or boy or girl who has yet to experience that, who still needs to come to Christ. 
and call upon him to be Savior and Lord. God, I pray that this would be that day that they just get honest and say, God, I admit, I've blown it, I've sinned, and I cannot save myself. Just as Moses found grace in your sight, he was saved by grace. That's the only way any of us are saved. I pray this would be that day they would recognize, God, only by your grace do I come to you now asking you to forgive me and save me. We know, God, you'll do what you said you would do, that you'll forgive them, that you'll remove their sins as far as the east is from the west, make them into a new creation, write their name in the book of life, promising them eternal life in heaven. God, we thank you. For all of that, but most of all, we thank you that in Christ you promise us your presence. And Lord, that's our desire for that man or woman today who needs to take that step, who needs to call upon the name of the Lord. So have your way, and even in these next few moments, that that man or woman would just call upon you and say, Jesus, here am I, I will follow you. I declare you as Lord of my life today. Turning away from my sin, turn away, turning away from self, I turn myself over to you. God, have your way in these moments, and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.